the following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the International Gen Z Conference, hosted here by IOM America. We are very pleased to bring this conference to you. Understanding Gen Z is pretty critical. If we want to serve, lead, influence, and equip this next generation, the indwelt Christian will become more established and pronounced in their indwelling Christian faith and become acutely aware of their present culture and how it works against the Word of God, the Church, as well as the need that needs to be revealed of housing, the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. You're about to listen to Session 4 of the Gen Z Conference. In this session, we explore the solutions that are available on reaching Generation Z. Discipling a post-truth culture and the people living within that post-truth culture becomes the greatest challenge of the church today. We certainly understand that in a post-truth era, it borders on the blurred lines between truth and lies, honesty and dishonesty, in fiction and non-fiction. Deceiving others becomes a challenge, a game, and ultimately a habit. Research proves and also suggests that the average American tells lies on a daily basis. These fibs run the gamut of not only in daily living, but also in the spiritual perceptions of what or who truth is. We are going to trust that you enjoy this last session, the concluding session of the International Gen Z Conference. One of the other disillusionment items is motivation. Of course, your motive behind what it is that you're doing is or is not more offensive to the one watching you. So someone could call you a name. What you're really interested in is, is in their motive, right? Is your motive to be mean? Is your motive vengeful? Is your motive... So the motive becomes part of what I call the core of identity. It's what motivates. So therefore you have a motive is something that causes a person to act. Motive implies an emotional or desire operating on the will and making a choice. Motive requires impulse. It suggests a driving power arising from personal temperament or cultural inducement, as we just discussed. This suggests that the emotive is prompted by deliberate enticements and allurement of another. In other words, that motive comes from another person or leader. So if you're in church and your pastor encourages you to all get out there and hand out some tracts, do some door knocking, this and that, 
He becomes your motive. It always takes a leader to activate a motive. You could be your own leader. True. But that's where it starts. Gen Z knows that. So they're choosing what celebrity they want to communicate with. They're choosing very carefully what religious groups they want to associate. They're really thinking this through when their moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas are not. Dr. Morrow said it quite clearly. He says, we can learn from these kids. They could inform you of this stuff and more in their own way. So motive becomes absolutely critical in understanding and being able to secure your identity. And then number six is faith in church. I just like to put a verse in there, Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the works were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Faith is what is behind demonics. So you have these spiritualists who are bringing these images from an unseen world. Haven't you ever asked yourself or the person standing next to you, haven't you ever asked them, where do they come up with this stuff? I do. And I know the answer. And and a lot of this stuff ends up coming true 15 years later. One of my buddies in California says, Steve, it's real simple. Whatever is in the movies is already in the labs. Don't forget that. So here we have advisors bringing these image, these graven images from a world into the visual and make a movie of it or whatever. Write a book. People are not originators of thought. As these antennas pick up signals and send them places, how are we different? Who are you you a receiver for? Really? You may not find out a lot of the things that were even hinted at today for another 15 years. I don't know. I'm just doing what I believe I'm supposed to do. But faith in church is on a very bad pathway. We're deteriorating. Before we close, I want you to listen to Brooke. Very simple but strategic solution. Hi, my name is Jonathan Morrow, and I'm the Director of Cultural Engagement for Impact 360 Institute, and we get to work with teenagers in this next generation, uh, helping equip them in biblical worldview and leadership, and we've been excited to be working on this study on Gen Z, a groundbreaking study that we're going to be unveiling in January uh, with the Barna Group, and joining me today is Brooke Hemphill, who's the Senior Vice President of Research 
for Barna that we've been working on this study with. And you know, as we think about generations and we see kind of trends, um, you know, we've looked at the question of religious affiliation over time, and we've seen a decline in that. You guys have done a ton of research on this. So is that trend likely to continue with Gen Z? That's exactly what we wanted to know. So Barna's been tracking faith metrics for over three decades. So things like Bible reading, prayer, church attendance, and even just affiliation with Christianity. Um, and what we've seen is, let's say, the last 25 years, starting in 1992, that the proportion of the U.S. population who would call themselves atheist, agnostic, or to have no faith was 9% 25 years ago. Today, it's 19%. And if you look within millennials, the youngest adult population, it's 31%. So a significant decline in those affiliated with Christianity as a whole. So we wondered exactly where does that lead Gen Z? Because by default, many of them then would not have grown up with any sort of exposure to the church. They wouldn't have grown up knowing about the foundational beliefs of Christianity. And so we wanted to find out what do they know and what do they believe when it comes to um, Christianity and faith. and. So we asked these sorts of questions in the study um, about their spiritual understanding and beliefs. We also wanted to look into what constitutes a faith that lasts or constitutes a faith that um, holds over time through generations. So we have seen that uh, since we've started tracking that this metric, there's a group of engaged Christians, and we call them that. It just means that they say their faith is important in their life. They regularly practice it. They go to church, and a lot of them have very conservative theological beliefs, right? And that's a small proportion of that Christian population, but it's really steady over time, um, that it's, it's maintained its proportion of the population from generation to generation. So we wondered, where is that population when it comes to Gen Z? And one of the main shaping forces of that generation, obviously, is going to be the parents. And so we wanted to take a look at what do engaged Christian parents, what are they doing? How are they viewing their role in, in the lives of passing on their faith to the next generation and things like that? And what are their hopes and dreams for them? What, what are the habits? What are they kind of expecting? What are they expecting the parent to do, the church to do? And that kind of interplay. And we also wanted to see with youth pastors, what are their expectations about Gen Z? What are they, what are their hopes and dreams? What are they seeing? Are those the same things that the parents are seeing? And, um, and what are the, how do those relate in terms to our, our students being able to pass on, um, or carry on their faith in the next generation? So those are important dynamics we wanted to kind of see to get kind of a full orb view of kind of the next generation as their faith is taking shape. Yeah. So this is the most comprehensive study to date about faith and spirituality for this new generation. And uh, it'll include not only the trends and the research that we've talked about, but insights from psychologists, from people in youth ministry, um, from educators, from people who can help us make sense of all of these trends and this data and figure out how to apply them. Uh, so that's coming out in a special report in January um, about Gen Z. And we'll provide a lot more context around these trends we've been talking about. But the issue is coming to one final point, and that is we cannot count on government for a solution. That is why we put together the Department of Social Welfare and other departments is we kind of took the responsibility away from the parents. This is what I believe happened in that, that gap period, is that 
it moved itself into taking the load off of the parents and being responsible and created this vacuum. So we can't count on government coming up with solutions and day, from anything from daycare to health issues to whatever. You, you just can't count on it. So what the millennials did is they became uh, a modality of, in and of themselves to be millionaires by 30. You see, they made a major shift of pulling away from all these other venues that were saying that they had the solution and it ended up they did not. So now we're stuck. We got two generations stuck in this vacuum. So we have to go back. I wish I could show you the extended version of a lot of the teachings associated here, but we have to go back to the most and the biggest influencers of culture and society. There's a video that has been put together by Impact 360 that quickly takes you through the history of culture. And they drop in how influential Christianity was to building culture, from hospitals to buildings to take care of your children, and on and on and on and on and on and on. And by the time you're watching this four-minute video, you're blown away by the simple reality that it is the Christians that built this culture and society. And it got taken away from us. And there's two generations believing it. How a human mind can take a spoonful of lies and turn it into a theology has baffled me for years. It's not even in the Word of God. And they're proclaiming it as their opinion matters. And I'll tell you what Einstein said. I, too, has graduated from high school mentally retarded. It's my status. So is Einstein. Not to say I'm anywhere close to his intelligence. I don't even put that big of emphasis on it. But here's what he said that impacted me. He said to a classroom, which is probably a good size classroom of students, he said, if every one of you think that your intelligent minds are so worth something, it says just take your entire life of every intelligent thought you had and put that into one droplet. And he kicked the trash can in front of him and he said, and all of you intelligent students here wouldn't even make any impact on this trash can. That's how important human thought is to God. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord thy God. We have turned into an educational monster that thinks self-thought is original thought. And it's a spoonful of lies. 
And even Hollywood would tell you that. People eat what you feed them. People act upon what they eat. It's a marketing principle. And it works quite effectively. So in closing, I want to have us look at this list. So whether you're a pastor, teacher, parent, grandparent, really, we're all leaders in some capacity. We need to ask, how do we teach and train teens to reject the pluralistic culture, cultural beliefs that are being thrown at them? To avoid following ideas about Christ versus to embrace the authentic Christianity that has been around for so long, it's like I offend people when I talk about indwelt Christianity. I'm like, why is this offensive? It's been the method of God's grace since the cross. Why is it all of a sudden crazy? I don't know why. The ideologies of man are more bonded to lies than they are to truth. And now it's a culture. So let's take a look at a couple things before we quit. These are the things we should not do with Gen Zers. You have this list with you to carefully look over later. But you don't want to require, you don't want to use the law on them to go to Christian schools or sit through Sunday school class. Or The Bible says in Romans 7, 5, it says, For the law arouses sinful passions. You want to make the culture worse? Tell them what they have to do. I don't want people listening to a podcast or reading an article or anything else because they feel like they have to. I'm like, go away. Turn the podcast off. Walk out of the conference because I want to go after the willing hearts that are ready and ripe. Because other people are just opinionated. Instead of wanting to grow together in the grace and life of Jesus Christ. So forcing them to these things, you're going to push them away. So here's what we need to do. Here's the solutions, some of them. You got to understand their culture. Seriously, do your homework. I mean, most of what I have shared with you today is by the hard work and research done by someone else. I do my due diligence on their work too, but, you know, it's, this is working together. Let's get her done. So if someone's using a new buzzword or a new ideology or a new theology or a new this or that, I just do my homework. And if they catch me in something that I just don't understand, I go, well, give me a little time. I need to pray through this. I need to get into the Word of God. I need to, you see what I mean? There's nothing wrong with saying, I need a little time here. I'm not God. See, it creates a different kind of collaborative work in Christ. We're all brothers and sisters, not superior to each other. 
So you got to decide which of those worldviews you're in. I mean, you're in some kind of worldview. You're secular. Almost lost a college that I was working with and dialoguing with, and everyone was all excited, and we're, we were going to try to work on building the Worldview Institute and the college, and you know, blah blah blah. And I brought out the the diagram of the three worldviews. I said, "Your college is in one of these. Which is it?" Blew the poor guy away. Got disinvited to a worldview event. I got disinvited to a lunch. Haven't been treated so rudely by educators in a very long time. Because the person realized they were a Christ follower institution. I didn't have to say it. They were wondering why they're having Muslim issues and this and that and whatever. Multicultural issues in a Christ-centered college. Duh. See, that's what happens to a lot of people. They realize, oh my Lord, what I have been thinking is stinky thinking. What I've developed is stinky. And now it's an institution that needs $10 million. You see what happens? We move into plurality typically for money. And then write out your family or personal faith statement or mission. If you're not a Christian, at least do a mission statement. I believe in conquering the world through the world of economy. Be rich by 30. At least write it down and tape it to the refrigerator. But I would prefer for you to write down your worldview. Make it visual. They love pictures. Everything needs to be visual. Cartoons. That's why I use a lot of visuals in the PowerPoint. People love pictures. In fact, you actually think in pictures. Science already proves that now. You don't think in words. You have to learn languages. Pictures you don't. So then implement a mealtime of table talk. The book that I put together back there called Father, Refuting a New Kind of Christianity, is a great discussion book. They don't have to read it. You read it and you come up with a few questions for a discussion. There's a lot of material out there that are great worldview questions that they need to be asked. And then make use of open-ended questions. Here's what some of those look like. If you ask yes and no questions, you get a what? We are being dumbed down. And in that dumbed-down process, we're becoming very apathetic. Non-responsive. People are sitting in pews and really not suffering very much conviction anymore. They walk out and say, that was very interesting. Are you kidding? When I hear a good sermon, I oftentimes weep. Because I sense the Lord reforming me, transforming me, making another area of my life 
new. So yes and no's don't, they're not good unless you're contracting them. Did you break the dish? Let your yes be yes, your no be no. So open-ended questions lead more into deeper data. So you have a list on your paper. Just think about those. You can write your own, obviously, because there's millions of options. Prioritize regular time with the teams. Increase your level of participation. Work to undo what they are taught during the day. I don't care if they attend a Christian school. Those are actually more dangerous than secular schools. Secular schools are easier to deprogram children. I don't know if you knew that. If you live in a universalist society or culture or town or community or nation, it is almost impossible to deprogram them. Science is showing this. Lukewarm environments are almost impossible to deprogram people. But a straight-on no. See, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything above and beyond this is of evil. Gray zone is in the middle of the road, lukewarm. What's that one church out of the seven? God says through Christ Jesus, through John, who wrote the book of Revelation. What did he say to that one church about lukewarm? Spit you out of my mouth. Wasn't the persecuting church or it wasn't the cold one. It was the Lukies, the Universalists, the Pluralists. Because you can't reach a Pluralist. It takes a miracle of God. So having a kid out of secular education is a whole lot better, if you ask me. Because you can set him down and say, now exactly what did you hear today that just doesn't make sense with our family faith? Statement. You see why that statement comes important? How, how does that work with this? Does it? Raising children properly with a great, solid, immovable, unwavering worldview is easy if you're not lazy. This is just a normal, natural, neutral list that I'd give to any parent about any issue. It's just tailor-made for worldview issues. These kids are picking up a lot more than you think. If the information society is doomed, what statistics says it's able to do to your human mind, they're learning faster than you. So they can handle it. I think that they actually respect adults who are up front with them. They say something, I'm on it. Where did you get that, young man? How does that match? They may get a little rough around the edges, but I think they appreciate a strong teacher who is unwavering. Passive parents always end up being hated by their children. That's the other component in the implosion ring. 
that I believe exists. Millennial parents were disengaged. It was, they formed what was called the latchkey generation. And their children grew up hating them. You may not like strong teachers. You may not like strong written books. You may not like strong podcasts or whatever venue. But I pray you're attracted to them because those are the only guys and gals I trust. I like the Beth Moores. I have a deep respect for her as a sister. I like the Charles Stanleys. Who's one of my has been one of my mentors for years. I I love the immovable strong types. Do I agree with every ounce of theology they have? Of course not. They're human. They're on a pathway like I am. I get nothing out of people pleasing pastors. Nothing. Tell me the truth. Say it to my face. Maintain eye contact. Give me full body on. And say it instead of lie through your covert fear of rejection. And I have men in my life like that. I have women in my life like that. And ultimately what happens is we have mutual respect. The ones I admire the most who say to me, send the simple scripture or encouragement Be unwavering. Be immovable. Never, ever run away from the scriptures for any reason. So if strong opinion comes at you, know the word. Because that's where the truth is, whether you understand it or not. Here's seven foundational issues that Gen Zers like to talk about. Historical evidence of Jesus is huge. If you don't think they're not wrestling with it, they are. The worldview, secular Christ follower, born again, they want to talk about worldviews. They do. They're a blank slate, remember? So talk about it, but you first got to decide what yours is. Because you can only impart who you are, not what you say. And Gen Z seems to look through that pretty quick. Origins of the Bible, science in the Bible, pros and cons of technology, face-to-face interaction, relationships with humans. Do you understand how retarded these kids feel? They're just not coming out and saying it to you because they're also known for keeping secrets. So they're not sharing with you how bad they're struggling with some issues. Like the gender issue, I'm just now working on applying the statistics they gave me to worldview. And as I told my wife, I kicked that in just for a few minutes because I was bored yesterday or whatever, and a flow came out of me on the biblical ideologies and principles and truths, Jesus and their perspective on gender issues. It's been around for a long time. It's still around. And we need to talk to them openly about it. Do you believe you're male or female? 
Oh, Dad, that's silly. Answer the question. Go ahead and answer it. Do you feel like a woman or do you feel like a man? You take their research stuff and turn it into a question and ask them. It's a technique. You can do that with anything, I promise you. Closing with this. The relativism of Gen Z is based less on deficit of moral values and more on the failure of their parents. In literally presenting to Gen Z the proof that is in the pudding, the Bible is historic evidence. It's one of the most sound history books that have ever hit the earth. There are atheists who cannot refute the Bible because it is documented and has never not come true. It is the history book that baffles and continues to baffle every generation. And for some reason, the statistics on how many millennials study their Bible every day, I had to jump through a lot of those statistics It's alarming. There are some self-proclaimed proactive Christians that have not actually studied their Bible since they were saved. Studied it. Most actually admit they have no idea how to study the Word. Guys, we can no longer assume that when you say go study the Word, or go read the word when the illiteracy rate is climbing through the ceilings with his ears. They can communicate with you in their short version of English. Can't write letters anymore. Cursive writing's gone. Formal elements of the English language are gone. See what's happening? Dumbing down very smart kids while overloading them with information. Jesus said something real simple. I really think that the Lord chuckles at me because what I do is I take his scriptures that are impacting me or a message and I go, okay, Lord, you know me and my word modality. You know me and my word frenetic pluralism. You know, I want to put in parentheses at least what the people would say. So look, get this. This was just this past couple weeks. The Lord, I believe, helped me understand. For I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now most of us have heard that several times throughout our life. It happens to be the number one global resistant point of theology. That's my verse. For I am the modality, Stephen. I am that method. And the truth. Documented evidence. Now that's the standard Greek. But I am the truth is, I am the I am's. 
That's what he said to Moses. Remember that? For I am the I am. That's the New Testament version. I'm all identities. It's me. Don't go searching for any others. And then, end the life principles, principle or force of an ex- existent individual. It is self-proof. He is the Zoe. He is the breath of God. The life. So, I'm modality. I'm truth. And I am literally the existence of life. So no man coming under the Father, I don't care what kind of funky theology you people come up with down there, they're not going to get to see Abba unless they come through me. That requires a born-again experience, a conversion. Whatever your denomination or your studies is used to calling it, there needs to be transformation create actually a transferring from the old to the new there's a point of change it doesn't grow on you like some kind of frenetic fungus it's an old fashioned decision to go from old to new and that seems to be gone now I'm sorry Jesus if there's anything I've ever done to lukewarm this passage. But I am committed for the rest of my life never to shut my mouth again. You are the way, the modality. You are the truth, the absolute truth the whole world seems to make a big deal about. I mean, can you think about that, guys? The entire world's making a big deal about relative truth versus absolute truth. It's just another way of slapping God in the face. And I'm like, why do they always pick on this verse? Because it's the entry point for the day. Online listeners, listen carefully. Pastors, listen carefully. You need to communicate to your people. In this podcast, the clear definition of becoming a born-again believer. Use the proper words, the language they're used to, but clearly communicate this verse, that there is no other way to meet the Father for eternity except for through this portal. His name happens to be Jesus Christ. And it's going to require a salvation experience, not growing in Jesus' grace. You can't grow in grace until you get it. And that's the bottom line. So Z parents, you millennials, I don't need to prove how much I love you. I understand your pain a little bit. My generation did this to you. It's horrible what you have been through. But I'm telling you, if you hang on to the simple life principles given to us in the Word of God, and if you're not even sure you're saved, (laughs) he'll answer the question. He won't let that one go by. He loves you way too much. 
602-292-2982. Email me directly at drfinney, D-R-P-H-I-N-N-E-Y, at iomamerica.org. Or go visit our website, listen to the announcer right after this podcast, and actually go to the website. So we really appreciate our listeners, our directors. I want to again thank you very much for repodcasting. God only knows that number, and it isn't in the number as much as in the message. So I thank each of you guys and gals for getting this out to a very starving and hurting cultural world. And those of you who even received Christ since the beginning of this conference, I thank you, and please be open and willing to contact someone with quality training and equipping to get you discipled so you may grow in your newfounded grace. Thank you for joining us in the International Gen Z Conference. We highly encourage our listeners to forward this through your social networks, through your emails. Let's get this message out to a very lost and hurting world. Again, thank you for being a part of the International Gen Z Conference. Sponsored by IOM America and also the Generational Ethics Radio Broadcast Show. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.